Welcome to the Team Charleston Family Readiness Podcast, and we're talking about special observances today because it's Hispanic Heritage Month, and we have an outstanding guest joining us. I'm your host, Senior Master Sergeant Dave Taglaferro, and today we discover how the Air Force and Joint Base Charleston enhance cross-cultural awareness and promote diversity amongst our team members and families. This week, we've got a couple of huge guests with us, and it all starts right now. Our guest's leadership background includes 30 years of military experience in various deployed and garrison duties, ranging from the squadron level all the way to the major command level. He's held these throughout Air Force, Army, and joint assignments. So needless to say, our guest today has seen a thing or two. In his current role, he provides combat mission-ready expeditionary airmen to combatant commanders in support of joint and combined operations worldwide. And here at home, he provides installation support to a total force of over 90,000 airmen, soldiers, sailors, marines, coast guardsmen, civilians, dependents, and retirees. Without any further ado, let's welcome to the show the 628th Air Base Wing Command Chief, Chief Master Sergeant Jason Cologne. All right, so here we are mid-September, and it is Hispanic Heritage Month, a part of our cultural observances that the Air Force has. And with us, we have Chief Master Sergeant Jason Cologne, the new command chief of the 628th Air Base Wing. And we're going to get to know him a little bit and talk about how Hispanic Heritage Month impacts him. So uh, welcome to the show, Chief. Awesome. Thanks. It's great to be here. First off, what do you like most about Charleston since you just got here? As a half Puerto Rican, half Italian, food has always been in my culture. I can relate to that. So... Coming here to this low country food has done a lot of smiles for my family and I. Uh, we just we enjoy all types of cooking, and uh, coming from a, a food background, yes. you know, so to speak, or a food culture background. And I think every culture has a food background, or else we wouldn't be here today. The low country food that they offer here, especially uh, the new one on me, is sh- grits and Shri- shrimp, shrimp, shrimp and grits. And grits. Yes, um, I would never put those two together. But someone did, and, and and thank you to whoever that person was. <laughs> a, a mad scientist was experimenting yes. with breakfast and, I guess, I don't know, hors d'oeuvres, shrimp cocktail. Hey, so you do something with leftovers, you go with it. <laughs> yeah. So without any further ado, uh, let's talk about a little bit more about your background and your heritage and a little bit about yourself. Let's start. Where are you from? So originally I was born in New York, in the city, from the Bronx, as were both my parents, born in the Bronx. Uh, my grandparents, on the other hand, immigrated over. Uh, my mother's side, being the Italian side, came over from Italy. Okay. Um, and my father's side, being Puerto Rican, came over from Puerto Rico. Now, if you go way back, my last name is Colon, appropriately said. Uh, you can say Cologne, but it's Colon, as a little bit of Spanish accent okay. to it. Uh, if you go way back in the records, deep, 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 my super duper, 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 many times over, great-grandfather, a.k.a. Cristobal Colon. Always, otherwise known as Christopher Columbus. All right, so then. We'll go all the way back to that guy, and um, and here I am today. Okay, I can I can relate to the to your name being pronounced a little bit. It's like almost Americanized. I'm in the same boat. I say my name is Tagliaferro, but it's actually Tagliaferro. It's we're from Italy, and uh, I can appreciate the same. Uh, I, I can appreciate that concept. The uh, Italians would always come through the gate when I was working in Italy, and they would tell you Pharaoh means iron cutter. I'm like, yes, I, I know. Thank you. So uh, that's always nice little idiosyncrasies about everybody's background and how they kind of change over time once they come to America and just kind of meld into that melting pot. 
So how long have you been actually in the military? So I originally joined in August of 1990. August of 1990. So a little bit ago, just recently. <laughs> I served approximately 10 and a half years or so and then separated from active duty. Oh, really? We, we hadn't we had never lived near family, and that's the turning point. Usually 10 years is you stay or you go, um, and we chose to go. But I certainly didn't want to leave the military in entirety, so I joined the Air National Guard. I served in that position for approximately one year, and then I switched over to the Air Force Reserves. Oh, you've been everywhere. Yep, and then served in there for about two years, and then returned to active duty. Kept the same job throughout the whole time the special operations weather, uh, as an active duty, as a guard member, and as a reservist, and then back to active duty again. Wow. All right. Then that is a heck of a background, especially. That that gives you the whole, the entire total force. That is phenomenal. Now, can you explain a little bit more about your, you said special tactics weather? Special operations weather. Um, The name has changed over the years. When I first came in, in in 1990, we were called para-weather. That was told to me by my career counselor, so to speak. Um, I have, a, I still have a letter somewhere that says, "Congratulations for volunteering for Paraweather." Now that name has changed from Paraweather to Special Operations Weather okay. to Battlefield Weather, Combat Weather, Special Tactics Weather, mm. and the most recent change, we are called Special Reconnaissance, SR. I came in open general. Just give me whatever. I signed up for the Air Force and okay. off I went. So in the second, third week of basic training, I didn't have a job. So I went to talk to the career advisor and they Googled my uh, ASVAB scores. Of course, they didn't have Google back then, but they looked up my, my ASVAB scores and said, hey, you, you scored pretty good. How would you like to be a weather guy? Sure. What, what do they do? <laughs> well, they go outside. They look up at the sky. They see what they see. They come back in and they write down what they saw. Okay. My thought process, I can go outside. It's a really nice day. If I get too hot, I can come back inside. That seems like the best of both worlds. That seems reasonable. Yeah. So fast forward. Now I'm going to be a weather guy. A couple weeks later, in walks a bunch of guys with big muscles and cool berets and just nice tans and just just all around good looking guys. The berets will get you. Yeah. And I'm like, whoa, what's going on here? (laughs) And they were there to brief the young basic trainees uh, about opportunities, combat control, pararescue, and special operations weather. And they briefed, and I said, yeah, I, I, I want to do that. Actually, they did not say, they didn't mention special operations weather. And I said, hey, I'd like to do that, but I'm going to be a weather guy. And they said, oh, we have a job for you. It's called special operations weather. And off I went. Didn't stop from there. Back then, the training pipeline was a little different than it is right now. Uh, now it's one long pipeline. You start on day one, you finish on year two. Oh, boy. And then you, you are a special reconnaissance technician. That is awesome. Uh, back then, it was a little bit different. So I went off to my weather school because everybody went to the same weather school regardless of what your job was, special operations or not special operations. Then went to jump school and then to Fort Bragg. Oh, wow. And I'm sure during all of that training, you were probably probably enjoying a ton of different MREs. I see behind you, you have a can of emergency drinking water. So I could only imagine what those meals are like or were like. Well, the MREs back, we didn't have as much selection as we do today. Chicken tetrazzini. You know, they had, we had the, the beef stew, the ham slice, uh, the hot dogs, which were, which were different. And the, my, what is it called? The potatoes are gratin with ham. And there was an egg, a scrambled egg one. 
Um, but as long as you put all the contents from the MRE in the one meal, <laughs> it went okay. Crack, break up the crackers, put the Tabasco sauce, pour the coffee in and the sugar, and just ate it. <laughs> so I'm sure when you were doing that, you were probably missing some of those old-fashioned meals you had back at home. What were some of those things that you, coming from a culturally diverse background, you'd mentioned Hispanic heritage, you mentioned Italian heritage. What were some of those meals you were actually eating back before you found yourself drinking canned water and eating that MRE? So I find myself to be very fortunate coming from a Puerto Rican and Italian heritage background. Food was always the center in the center of the house, so to speak. At every gathering, every event, every family reunion, food was always a centerpiece. So I had the distinct honor and privilege of being able to eat pernil, which is the pork shoulder roast, arroz con gandules, which is rice and pigeon peas, the tostones, which are fried plantains on the Puerto Rican side of the house, or picadillo, which is a rice meat kind of potato mix. And then on the Italian side, my mom was cooking lasagna, the best spaghetti sauce, or we'd have spaghetti and meatballs with the old pot big pot of spaghetti sauce that took all day to make and you fried the potatoes first or the fried the meatballs first took them and the sausage and put it in the sauce but you always had a fried meatball up front just make sure it was good oh you have to and, test it oh yeah and so uh those are just some of the meals that we enjoyed so as a third as a top layer on top of puerto rican italian my father's first assignment was zaragoza spain so I got to enjoy a great amount of Spanish tapas. And of course, have, being Puerto Rican, I speak, I've, I learned Castellano, which is the king's Spanish. Sort of, we, for, we refer to English as the queen's English as being the proper yes. English. The king's Spanish, Castellano or Castilian Spanish, is the proper, what's known as the proper Spanish. But outside of that, the food in Spain, the tapas, the appetizers, the food, which they're very famous for, um, the chorizo and the jamón serrano and the patatas bravas, all of it, great, great food. And, of course, uh, learning to speak Casti- Castellano, Castilian Spanish, was icing on the top, so to speak. I, that sounds like, and all those sound phenomenal. I'm ready. I'm sure there's got to be a tapas restaurant somewhere around here in Charleston. I don't, I don't know. My house sells them all the time. Oh, all right, then. <laughs> all right. I'll have to keep that in mind. So it sounds like there's a lot of tradition involved with all of those different dishes, what kind of traditions was it that your family had that really stand out in your mind through your youth living in Spain? I'm sure that only really enhanced that Hispanic uh, heritage, that culture. What are some of those traditions that really stand out to you that you participated in? I would, I would easily say, as I mentioned, that food was always the center point, but music and dancing. And anytime you combine music and dancing and food, there's a lot of people because that tracks a lot of people. Everyone likes music. Everyone likes to dance, and everyone likes food. So when we would have get-togethers at our house, we would eat, listen to music, and push the furniture out of the way in the middle of the living room so that we'd have a little dance floor. And everyone would start dancing. So being Puerto Rican-Italian or Puerto Rican on the Puerto Rican side, we would dance salsa and merengue. All the people would come, okay. and you dance, and you sing, and you just eat and be merry. Just a lot, a lot of fun. And that was all of the time. Not every weekend, obviously, but right. at least once a month, there was always something. That's a pretty whether good it was, rate. Whether it was our house or somebody else's house, they're hosting it. And everybody would potluck. 
hey, you bring the beans, you bring the rice, you bring the meat, you bring the salad, you bring the cups, and everyone would have a blast. It sounds like a, a festive experience, especially when you're bringing all that good stuff that you were all already talking about. The cultures that you came from, uh, both of those were both very festive, very focused on food, family, uh, entertainment. What, what is a misconception of some of those cultures that you maybe have seen or have heard other people talk about, I suppose? So I'll say this. There are, and, I, and I've seen this in some movies, that when you have a, a large gathering of a ethnic background, uh, and we'll call it specifically Hispanic background, mm-hmm. that there's, there's always a fight and there's, you know, something going on in the background. I don't believe that to be true. Um, I can tell you that the Hispanic heritage is very passionate. So when they're talking about something, from the outside it may appear to be like argumentative, but it's actually the love and the passion for whatever the topic is that they're talking about. It could be sports related and they're arguing over who they think their number one pitcher is or who they think their number one soccer player is or, you know, pick a sport because Hispanics are passionate about all of the sports because they just love sporting events and, and want to be involved. If they're not on the field, they want to be right there cheering them on saying, you know, let's go. So they're very passionate about all of the topics. So what comes across is, oh my gosh, there's a that sure is a wild, wild right. event, but it's actually just an enormous amount of passion. And that, I think, really is understanding that. That's a simple concept to understand, yet a lot of people, like you said, through the media and just through what we consume, we see that, and then we just assume that it's like that. That stereotype is there. And that's where I think it's important that that we have these uh, special observances, these months like this, where we focus on various cultures and ethnicities and backgrounds to really talk about and highlight some of these things because being culturally competent one of the key things is awareness and being aware of what our biases are or misconceptions are about a culture and then learning about what it really means I think that can go a long way and I think that could dispel a lot of a lot of rumors and misconceptions like we'd already talked about most people aren't aware of all of the cultures that happened at, uh, that are involved in other places. But the more aware you are, then you're more apt to be embraced into their culture. And that's, that's the whole point of all of this. This podcast, this month, all of the events that we have happening actually throughout the month is to highlight uh, Hispanic heritage. That is what's happening beginning on September 15th through November 15th. And there's just a whole host of events happening throughout the month that... I think we really are going to have to highlight, and you can find all of those in the show notes below. So there was another thing I really wanted to get to, which really comes down to what we're doing here, this special observance, Hispanic Heritage Month, and that's something that uh, the defense secretary, uh, Dr. Esper, said. And he said this back in June, that diversity is the key to innovation. Inclusion is imperative for cohesive teamwork. Equality is critical to total force readiness. Have you been in any organizations where they have displayed these traits to the point where it's a more effective organization? Absolutely. So coming from my background, mostly joint and soft background in AFSOC, in SOCOM, ACC, uh, in small team dynamics, uh, which you can really translate to at the flight level because that's a small team dynamic. You don't have to be on a special tactics team. Uh, it's just a small team dynamics or small office environment. Any one of those fit the mold. As you're 
as you get to know one another at a more intimate level and know what their background is and more of the why they do what they do and the who and where they came from, it kind of paints a picture in your mind. So as you're moving forward to do mission completion, whether that's jump out of the airplane and, and land on the spot and go forward, or, hey, our job is to tally up these number of boxes and move them to the next place. doesn't matter what the actual mission is. The point is that you know the person right next to you and you know what their normal is, mm-hmm. regardless of their ethnicity or diversity background and all the things that they could be. You know that Airman Johnson or Sergeant Johnson, you know what their normal is. That is not a skin color. That's not an ethnicity. That's not a faith. That's not any of those things. That's just that person who's underneath the uniform. You know what their normal looks like. So when it comes to inclusiveness, into your calculus of how you're going to lead that team, you include all those parameters of that person underneath the uniform, whether they're tall or short or blue-eyed or long-haired or from this country or that country, or if their heritage doesn't match the country that they're from. Just because you're born in a place doesn't mean you're raised in a place or raised in that heritage background. A person who's born in Germany, who grow, grew up in Kansas by a Hispanic family, someone might be confused about that. Right. But there's, that happens all the time. Uh, a former co-worker of mine, tech sergeant, had her baby in Germany. Now she's from Holland, and now they live in Wright Pad, Ohio. You okay. know, so that's kind of three distinct yes. cultures. Just because you're born somewhere born of a certain ethnicity mm-hmm. and raised somewhere else, there's a lot of differences that could occur. Now, it's coincidental that I'm Puerto Rican-Italian, and then I was raised in Spain. Um, you know, <laughs> yes. that's kind of, that matches a little bit, uh, but still different cultures. Yes, yes. Absolutely. Everything that you mentioned, those are, that inclusiveness, viewing everybody's backgrounds and taking them into account when trying to accomplish the mission, I think is important because everybody has different ways of viewing things based on how they grew up, how they were raised. The way I approach something is going to be totally different than the way you approach something based on our backgrounds because what we've done to this point is what's going to help us approach a different topic, which is why I think the defense secretary was was so adamant about it and why we have these special observances such as Hispanic Heritage Month because it's almost like a, a force multiplier. If I only listen to or rely on people who come from my background, I feel like we're really thinking inside of the box, and that's a pretty limited box in my opinion. The memorandum he pushed out, it's its not that it's new. So one, the observances have been going on for many yes. years now. I remember growing up you know, with my father being in the military in the late 70s, there was all these same observances were going on back then. But now it's basically just reinforcing it. We want to make sure that all personnel wearing the uniform are aware of the diversity and inclusion that needs to occur if it's not occurring. It's a matter of being alert and aware. So as a parachutist, when you're under canopy, when you're under the under the canopy, under the parachute, or in free fall, you have to keep your head on a swivel. You have to look left, look right, look up and down. You're making sure that Mm-hmm. There's no obstructions or no other jumpers nearby that you need to slip away from or turn away from. In the same manner, if you're in, when you're in uniform, you have to keep your head on a swivel to be aware of what your surroundings are. Is that person doing or saying something that they should not? And how does that impact the mission? Or is that person doing some great things right. 
And that's that the person deserves some recognition, possibly, even if it's just a kudos or an attaboy kind of thing or an girl or at an airman. Right. That's the that's the way to go. Hey, thanks. That's awesome. So even that you mentioned verbal praise like that, somebody receiving that and being receptive to that also has to do with how they were raised. Maybe they came from a culture or a background or a family where they appreciate that verbal praise. Maybe there's other airmen or subordinates out there that actually would prefer not to hear anything like that. Or maybe they prefer awards instead. And that's all, once again, comes back to your background. So I'll say this uh, regarding that specific topic. I'm not sure how to correlate this, but there's a book out there called The Five Love Languages, The Five Languages of Love. And basically, it's how how do you prefer to be recognized for some of the things do you prefer words of affirmation do you prefer gifts do you prefer acts and then on the flip side what do you prefer to give to that person is it easier easier for you to say words of affirmation give gifts or to do acts Uh, so it works both ways so if you get to know that person's background Mm -hmm. to find out what their preferences are surrounding their culture their heritage their background you're going to get that much closer because they're going to go wait a minute you know what i like that is awesome you got to know me enough to where you know what i prefer and it just makes that much easier going forward so when you're given a task and you're working together as a team the team integrity will be that much tighter and the way you get to know your airmen and their background is through communication and that is, I think, the most important aspect of becoming culturally competent is that communication aspect. How would you suggest maybe we talk to somebody or how do you approach maybe an airman of a different background or maybe you're starting your initial feedback? What are some things maybe we can talk about? Well, I'll say this about communication. A lot of times we're given a task or a mission and you complete the task or the mission and it's done. You can say finito. But... When it comes to communication, there is no, hey, I'm done. I, am, I have my certificate. It says here I graduated from communication school. Communication is a living action that continuously goes on and on. You're always learning. You're always getting better. And you can never plant a flag saying, I am complete, mission task complete for communication. Now, when it comes to you know, feedback or getting to know your airmen, obviously in accordance with, Provide your initial feedback, do your midterm feedback, and do your end, your closeout feedback. But those are just, you know, the minimums. doesn't mean every week you can't have feedback or every month you can't have feedback. Now, you don't have to use the Airman Comprehensive Assessment Form every single time. <laughs> that would make things a bit awkward right? sometimes. But you, you can just say, hey, come on in. How are you doing today? What's going on? And you get to know, peel the onion back, get to know the person behind the person. Um, again, it goes back to finding out what that person's normal looks like. And the more that you talk to them, the more they're going to see that you're interested in finding out about them. Now, some people are more extroverts. Some people are more introverts. Um, but that's something you learn by talking to them. Yes. And, and yes. that's the only way you're going to know that. And we want to get people involved in the events happening this month because cultural competence and the special observances program aren't just about recognizing a specific culture or heritage, it's actually about getting everybody involved in participating in those events so that it's more of a, not only an inclusive situation, but it's also an educational uh, situation as well, where people, like I said, are, are communicating and being informed about those cultures so that we can better work together. 
But cross-cultural awareness isn't only about uh, the military and the actual members. It can also impact the families. It's the Team Charleston Family Readiness Podcast we're on right now, so we have to talk about families. How has how did the military impact you when you were dependent, and how did that help shape who you are today? I was very fortunate to be raised by parents who were very inclusive. You know, Puerto Rican, Italian, growing up in New York, there's every race and heritage and background you can think of is in New York City. It's a very popular city, very full city, or full of lots of different races and ethnicities and backgrounds. And they were the school that they went to was all of those. They're the high school sweethearts, and the, the high school was comprised of everything that you can possibly think of from everywhere around the world. Um, so they were always very inclusive. So when we had events growing up at our house, as I said, food, music, and dance, it was all of the things. Coincidentally, uh, my father was Airman Cologne. My father, <laughs> Airman Cologne, when he was Airman Cologne, was a part-time DJ on the weekends for what's AFRTS, for the radio station, oh. Europe Radio, or whatever it was called back then. Um, and so he did the Salsa Hour. Okay. And he did the rock hour. <laughs> That's and, awesome. And, and those are, you know, slightly different from each other. A little bit. Um, so the, the music that was played in our house was of all varieties. Of course, they grew up in the in the uh, 50s and 60s with doo-wops and oldies and love songs. Uh, and then, the you know, rock came around the <laughs> 70s. And all of this music played in the house. So I grew up in a very diverse environment when it comes to the music. And uh, music attracts different people. And all of the different people were attracted to our house because we had all of the music. And so I was able to see the spectrum of diversity and heritage growing up, uh, whether it was the first assignment in Spain, and then we moved to New Jersey, and then we moved to Germany, and then back to Spain again, mm-hmm. and then onto the NCR area. And of course, that shaped who I am and how I moved forward. Um, I can tell you one, one secret that I think helped me gain or garner the hand of my wife. Okay. I, I invited her over for lunch one day when we were, li- we're she's from the Maryland, D.C. area. My father was stationed at Andrews, so I was going to school part-time and working part-time. I said, hey, come over for lunch. I'll make you a tortilla sandwich. <laughs> okay. So tortilla, most people think of tortilla as the Mexican tortillas that mm-hmm. you make, you know, fajitas or tacos or whatever. Well, Spanish tortilla is not that. Tortilla española is with eggs and potatoes and onions. I like that. And you can add a chorizo or champiñones, which are mushrooms or ham or whatever you want to add, or it can just be plain. So she was trying to figure out in her mind, she didn't want to upset me and not come to the house to have, what's a tortilla sandwich? I've never heard of that before. (laughs) So there I go. I take out some of the tortilla from the refrigerator and I put it between two pieces of bread. And, you know, she's looking at it going, "I I don't understand this. But she loved it. Okay. She loved the tortilla. So that was one of those things that she was a willing participant to learn about my particular heritage. And that it brought us together. Again, food brings people together. A common theme here yes. I'm hearing. Yes. Your experiences through your father's military service when you were a dependent, those definitely shaped who you are today and how you interact with this diverse group of individuals here in the Air Force, in the military as a whole. There's a lot of benefits when you're a dependent and uh, especially a child. You go overseas, you're going to see a whole bunch of interesting things that, that really broaden your horizons. Well, let, let me let me talk another story about the, the inclusiveness. Perfect. Go back to that question you had asked. When you're forward deployed, and I deployed a lot, so when you're forward deployed or even in a training environment, 
you're not thinking about is that where is that, what country is that person from? What color is their skin? What language do they speak? You're, you're not asking any of those questions. You're asking you, all you're thinking about is I have my my brother in arms right next to me, mm-hmm. going down the line, doing the mission. Whether that's a land navigation course, and he's he's keeping left and right, just making sure there's no no uh, bad guys running around, um, and you're moving forward to complete the objective. He's your brother. He's not. Oh, he's from this place or that place or he likes this food. He's my brother, and we're going to move forward. The skin color and it doesn't. It's all irrelevant. All of that heritage, faith. We're one team, one fight, just like Joint Base Charleston. That's perfect. That's really well said. It when it when the rubber meets the road, it's it's about the person to your left and the right and how well you can actually execute the mission. And that kind of leads into something else you mentioned before that you should you should control what you can control essentially. So do you have any suggestions for units, maybe new supervisors, seasoned supervisors about how they could actually further their units or their own cultural competency to enhance the mission, to further the mission, to become better supervisors, uh, better leaders? So the control which you can control can obviously go down many different Definitely. branches and sequels. But if you just kind of narrow it down to yourself, how can I make myself better so that I can make the next airman better. You control that. You're the only one who can control that. Open up a book. Read a book. Watch a video. Sit down and get to know someone about their ethnicity, race, heritage, etc. And, and find out more about that person and their family and what their cultures were, what their traditions were. You might want to then take advantage of some of those and make those your own or your family's own type of events. But that's what you can control. You can control yourself. And in, in, the, in the flip of the, some people might take this in a negative manner, if you are maybe not as capable yet to perform and be at your best, then control yourself from acting in a way that you don't need to act because that's another form of control. Hey, instead of saying, instead of saying something that might be inappropriate, just don't say anything at all control yourself but in the same manner control what you can control and find out more about that person and then you'll be become you will find yourself that the the tightness that you might have around you is going to free up a little bit and you'll be able to get just a little bit broader and you'll learn a lot more about the people you're working with chief that is a great segue into my uh my pitch here make sure if you want to learn more about cultures and yourself even get involved in some of the events we have going on this month and not only for hispanic heritage month there are plenty of other special observances that happen throughout the year so just check back regularly to the joint base charleston website to find out more info chief i think that was a great bookend for the for the interview do you have anything else for the audience i don't i appreciate you uh, allowing me the time to say a couple of words Um, i look forward to getting to know more people their cultures, because I don't know them all. I, I know several because I've been around the block a little bit. There's always new. There's new new things out there. Definitely. There's new cultures. There's new people. And at the very least, I will get to know that person because that person interprets their culture in their way. So if I can learn their way, then I, I'm that much further along. Perfect. Perfect. And you become a better supervisor and leader. And this is this is awesome. Thank you so much, Chief, for, oh, for coming on the show you're today. Welcome. All right. Thank you. There it is. That's our show. 
Today, we learned that the Air Force and the Department of Defense have these special observances, such as Hispanic Heritage Month, to do several things. One of those things is to help recognize the achievements of specific racial, religious, ethnic, and gender groups. By learning about our teammates' backgrounds, we'll gain mutual respect and combat stereotypes to the benefit of our work centers and the mission. Hispanic Heritage Month runs through 15 October, and some of the events we have on base include a drive-in movie at both the Air Base and Weapons Station, we'll have Hispanic Airmen stories at the Air Base Theater, we'll have a fun run and walk with a live DJ, and we'll have a Hispanic Heritage-inspired meal at the dining facility. And you can check in the show notes for all the dates and times. Also be on the lookout for various social media posts highlighting facts and Hispanic service members throughout the month. At Joint Base Charleston, special observances don't stop at Hispanic Heritage, though. In October, we have National Disability Employment Awareness Month, followed by National American Indian Heritage Month in November. We have another great episode coming out next week, where we sit down one-on-one -on -one with the commander of the 628th Air Base Wing in Joint Base Charleston, Colonel Mark Green, where he highlights the importance of both the key spouse and sponsorship programs and how those two programs directly contribute to an organization's culture. So be sure to check in for that one next week. So please subscribe to the show and share it on your social media if you're enjoying it. We've covered past topics such as health promotions, hurricane preparedness, finances, and spouse employment, just to name a few. And if you have any requests for guests or programs you'd like to learn more about, just reach out to us. Check out our Facebook page at JBCMFR, send us a message, leave a comment, and we'll get back to you. Thanks for listening, and be sure to tune in next week when we talk to the 628th Air Base Wing Commander, Colonel Mark Green. Any references made about a specific commercial product, process, or service, or the use of any trade firm or corporation name is for the public's information and convenience and does not constitute an endorsement, recommendation, or favoring by the U.S. Air Force.